RTHK. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset clause. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Monday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Asian futures point sharply lower as overseas markets sink. Chinese regulators clamp down on margin trading for retail investors and raise concerns about investor protection. Greece edges closer to default and yields on its government bond surge. And property prices in China show signs of stabilizing as the pace of declines slows. A sharp decline in mainland Chinese and Hong Kong futures has left investors on edge in Asia. We'll be keeping a close eye on those futures during the program this morning. And uh, as Greece euro exit fears and U.S. inflation data weigh on U.S. stocks, we'll talk to our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. We'll also uh, talk with Jenny Huang from Fitch Ratings about uh, energy efficiency and power consumption in China. And as always, on a Monday, our co-host is Alex Wong, Director of uh, Asset Management at Ample Capital. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Renita. So uh, let's take a look at the futures markets now in Hong Kong and China. Uh, Futures on the mainland are indicating a decline of 6% in the Shanghai market at the open. The H-shares index future in Hong Kong is pointing to a fall of 3.4%. Uh, and um, in China listed stocks here and the Hang Seng index futures point to the Hong Kong market opening two and a half percent lower. So, Alex, uh, Financial Secretary John Chang says to expect some sharp falls uh, in the markets today. Do you think this is just a temporary decline in an ongoing bull market or indications of a more fundamental change? Oh, after the uh, cut in the reserve requirement uh, of uh banks in China over the weekend, probably we will not open that low. Um, I think this is uh, a temporary decline anyway, because uh, the reason behind the fall actually uh, was the um, crackdown of those uh, margin trading. And that actually happened in the in mid-January this year uh, before. And after that fall in January, actually the market stabilized quite fast. So I think uh, the overall tone in the market is still bullish. And people would view this as a correction. And after the events over the weekend, I think uh, people actually would feel more confident because the message sent by the authority in China actually is um, the market would be okay to rise, but um, high leverage trading would not be too okay. So people uh, think the underlying trend in China is still up, but uh, probably if it is rising too fast, and then there, 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 will be, there will probably would be some control. So, Alex, I mean, clearly the Chinese regulators are trying to dampen enthusiasm in this booming Chinese stock market. And uh, the securities regulator, the CSRC, has clamped down upon the use of margin financing, as you say, to buy equities Mm. and uh, expanded the supply of shares available for short sellers. And the regulator has also warned retail investors not to borrow money or to sell property to buy stocks. Why do you think they uh, are 
you know, trying to raise awareness of risk control? Oh, because I think uh, if the market is uh, too crazy, then people probably would uh, would 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 quit their jobs and 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 come in the market and sell everything and and put everything into the market. So uh, when the market turns down, that could create a quick problem. And actually, uh, the, a, a rising market and to and a market with too many speculators actually would not be good as well for the real economy. So I think that they want to control the um, overall situation. But uh, the underlying tone um, actually is bullish. I think they need the stock market to rise because they want uh, to firms to raise funds for the stock market uh, to replace uh, debt by equity. So I think eventually they still need the stock market to function to, to help the economic reform in China. So that's why they want the market to rise, but they don't want the market to be in a very high leverage situation. And uh, sort of the major thing pointing to that, you say, is the PBOC's lowering the reserve requirement mm. ratio uh, for all banks by 100 basis points to 18.5%. Alex, the question is, I guess, why are the PBOC and the CSRC not coordinated on policy? Oh, I think uh, this is a, is a bit strange. But uh, the if you look at the events happening together, actually the message was very clear that um, the stock market in in China would still be up, but not a not not probably at a very fast pace. Uh, otherwise, uh, probably people would uh, would see more unfriendly uh, policies coming out in the short term. So that that is the key message. I think uh, uh, together they they actually have to stabilize the market, and people actually would be more confident on the in the long run. But in the short term, they would be a little bit cautious. And in other good news from China, the pace of decline in property prices is slowing. Data released over the weekend showed uh, property prices across Chinese cities fell just 0.2% in March. That's compared to February. And new home prices fell in 49 of the 70 cities tracked by the National Bureau of Statistics compared with the 66 cities last month. Prices were flat in Shanghai, but they rose in Beijing and Shenzhen. Alex, do you think this is good news? Oh yes, I think uh, uh, for the big cities in uh, China, actually demand remains okay. I think the data show that. Uh, the problem is only in those uh, third or second or third tier cities in China. I think that is uh, still a healthy sign, actually. Uh, I think uh, China property market probably would be very, very polarized. But uh, in the meantime, I think uh, we are seeing some kind of signs of stabilization. Okay, well, on the other side of the world, the rally in U.S. and European stocks came to a juddering halt as Greece and China fears weighed on the market. European markets fell sharply on Friday. The interest uh, rate yield on Germany's 10-year bonds has hit a record low of just uh, 0.052% as it slides even lower towards zero. And yields on the two-year and the five-year debt have already turned negative. In the U.S., the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 279 points during the final trading session of last week, leaving it almost unchanged for the year. The S&P 500 fell 1% on the week, and the Nasdaq closed with a weekly fall of 1.3% to slip back below the 5,000 level. David Lefkowitz is uh, the Senior Equity Strategist at UBS. 
fundamentally, things are fine. I, we're, we're just in the beginning of earnings season, uh, so only about 10% of the S&P 500 has reported. Earnings are coming in uh, pretty decent. I think the big fear was that we were going to see these currency-induced uh, misses by U.S. multinationals. In fact, what we're seeing is that companies that, are, that do are, are lowering estimates because of currency are actually seeing their stock prices go up because the underlying trends are actually pretty good. So I think there's been a lot of fear going into earnings season. Uh, what we're seeing is companies are, are delivering better than, than expected. Even- and here's Stiefel Nicholas's uh, Chad Morganlander with his view on the markets. Uh, there is some concern that inflation may be peaking, peaking up a little bit or going to pick up a bit over the next several quarters. And that potentially will force the Federal Reserve over the next, let's say, September, October to raise rates. I believe market speculators are hoping that the Fed won't raise rates in 2015, and they're looking towards perhaps being one and done in 2016. We believe, though, that they will raise rates. Also, nonetheless, we have to also face the fact that valuations, market multiples, P.E. multiple forward looking to 17 times, is quite lofty when you look at the global backdrop of a decelerating global growth rate. Uh, Earnings as well, pretty lousy. Pressure mounts on Greece ahead of a crucial Eurogroup meeting of finance ministers this Friday in the Latvian capital, Riga. The ECB President Mario Draghi and U.S. Treasury Secretary Jacob Liu both warned that Greece's situation is perilous and urged the country to take the lead in coming up with detailed proposals for reform of the country's economy. Greece is likely to run out of money next month and to have to make a stark choice between paying pensions and the salaries of public sector workers or default to the IMF in May and the European Central Bank. Now, yields on the country's notes maturing in 2017 hit almost 27 percent. Here's ECB President Mario Draghi. We all want Greece to succeed. The answer is in the hands of the Greek government. Much more work is needed now and it's urgent. So the priority is to restore a well-functioning policy dialogue and policy process. We want to reach a comprehensive policy package within which the priorities of the Greek government can actually be carefully assessed. A strong policy package that produces growth, fairness, fiscal sustainability, and financial stability. Having said that, we're certainly entering into uncharted waters if the crisis were to precipitate. So will other markets in Europe be affected by a Greek default? Here's Chief Investment Officer at Merck Investments, Axel Merck. What's different about today is that the spreads are widening. It's the first time in a long time that the spreads of, say, Spanish yields are also widening. Until now, those peripheral debt were there was no quote-unquote contagion, and even now you can, can argue whether it's contagion or not. Um, I happen to think that we will not see too much contagion um, because most of the debt is no longer held by financial institutions, um, but by supranational institutions. And so, but yes, by all means, um, we, we are ripe for correction. Stock markets are very high, mm-hmm. and we're going to risk often environment and we happen to credit Greece for the trouble because Varoufakis is talking big because he's in New York and he likes to talk. I I think the the default is a baseline scenario now. All right, let's bring in our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, who joins us on the phone now from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Rika. So, Barry, the situation with Greece looks to be more and more precarious by the minute. What is your expectation, Barry? Has it changed? Do you think there is a chance now that Greece will leave the euro? 
Sure, there is that chance, and there won't be a deal next week. That's been telegraphed by, well, not only by the Greeks themselves, but by Mr. Draghi, by the German finance minister, and certainly within the Eurogroup. The Eurogroup has really turned against Greece. Greece stands alone. Mm. They didn't really make any friends here. I, I suspect their only friend is, um, is the United States, because uh, Mr. Varoufakis actually spent 10 minutes talking to President Obama at a Greek uh, Independence Day celebration at the White House. But no, I don't think that the possibility of a Greek default and a Greek exit can be taken off the table. But I suspect we're just going to kick the can down the road and this problem will go on and on. Yet that road is becoming shorter and shorter, certainly. Um, so things have clearly changed, Barry. Let's try and you know make this more clear for our listeners. What is the damage to Greece if it does indeed leave the euro? Well, no one really knows. But everyone can say that the damage to the Greek people, let alone the Greek banks and the Greek government, is going to be huge. So, you know, there may have to be a new referendum or even a new election in Greece. The problem is they've got themselves in a, in a trap. And they can't say, on the one hand, no austerity, which is what the Syriza government was elected on, and then saying, we want to stay in the Eurozone, which means that uh, you need to get credits from the Troika or the institutions that provide the money, the European Union Commission, the European Central Bank, and the IMF. Mm. So you can't have it both ways. I mean, you've got to impose the austerity, and I think that's what the Greeks are slowly going to do. But I think that's the situation the Greeks find themselves in. Now, Barry, do you think there is a chance that Greece could turn elsewhere for financing, say, Russia? What would Europe think about that? Well, I don't think it would work. First of all, the Russians uh, don't have deep pockets at the moment. Their economy is in decline. They're buffeted by economic sanctions. And I think when the Greek prime minister went to Moscow, that was pretty clearly stated. Yes, the Russians might be able to help them with, you know, a promise of a connector pipeline from the pipeline they hope to build into Turkey. But that's a long way off, and that's gonna, not going to provide any immediate cash. I don't think the Chinese are going to do it. No, I think the Greeks are on their own. And if they do go out, which was your question, what would happen? Mm. Well, first of all, they'd have to have a new currency. They would have the, the whole question of European Union membership up in the open, because it's not clear that you could withdraw from the Eurozone without withdrawing from the European Union. No one wants that to happen. That's the consistent message of all the Europeans. We want Greece in, which tells me that they're probably going to find a short-term solution yet again. So, Barry, some market commentators have talked about Greece introducing a parallel currency, uh, as you say, in the event of a Grexit. Uh, Is this really possible, though? How would it work? Well, no one knows how it would work. I mean, you would try to, if you, let's just think out loud, this is all speculation. Mm. But if you had a parallel currency circulate, the question would be, what would the Greek people do? Would they go to this new parallel currency, or would they hold on to their euros but have all their deposits in euros moved to a safer haven like Germany or Italy or Spain or Austria? I think it's the latter. So it's very tough. Mm. Plus, the new government, Varoufakis and the prime minister both say, we do not have any plans to leave the euro. And I think they're sincere on that. 80% of the Greek people want to stay in the eurozone. They're between a rock and a hard place. They don't really have an alternative but to comply with the requests of the Europeans for new money. 
But how are they going to come up with those reforms? I mean, it just doesn't look likely that uh, the rest of uh, the folks in Europe are going to agree. Well, this is, this is the drama. And okay. since the Greeks were instrumental in inventing modern Western drama, this goes on. <laughs> and maybe it's somehow curiously appropriate. All right. So uh, we, we understand or we think we are closer perhaps to understanding, you know, how this might actually affect Greece itself. What about the rest of Europe? Uh, you know, is there a likelihood of a contagion in other markets like Spain? Yeah, I think that's a key question, yeah. Renita, because uh, Jack Lew, the American Treasury Secretary, clearly worries about this. You know, if we had a mini Lehman moment in Europe, I mean, if the Greeks were to leave at some point in the next few months, what would be the impact? Well, clearly, there would have to be some impact. No one can predict. One can say, of course, well, the Europeans are in much stronger position than they were five years ago for that, but there would still be some market response. And in fact, that unpredictability, I think, scares market participants. So that, uh, that too, we can't predict the impact, except everyone wants to avoid even that possibility occurring. Yeah, Alex, um, do you think the situation with Greece this week is going to put the kibosh on all of the euphoria we've seen lately with European markets? Oh, yes. Uh, right now, you can see the European market actually had been under pressure for several days already, and the correction actually is going on. I think uh, people are taking a risk of uh, attitude in Europe right now. And also, um, if you look at the rise this year, actually, the current correction is not that much as compared to the rise. So that means uh, in the short term, people probably would still be um, very cautious in Europe and we probably would see the European market to underperform for a while. Uh, that's not good news. Yeah. Barry, in the U.S., where the uh, latest economic data showed inflation more robust than expected, um, core CPI had moved up to 1.8%, close to the Fed's uh, 2% target. Now, Given that it is weak inflation that has been concerning the Fed, do you think that the final impediment to the Fed raising rates has now been removed? And no. no. I think they'll need a lot more data, Renita, because, uh, you know, there's still no inflation in the system. You know, we're below 2%, as you say, and on a year-over-year basis, we're even lower than that. So the Fed will want much more data, probably two, three more months, there's not going to be a rate rise until June, and as I have uh, been saying, I don't think there's going to be a rate rise until September. Okay, so you're, you're still holding out for the end of the year. Okay, and um, when it comes to you know these fears that liquidity in the U.S. Treasury bond market uh, uh, is poor because of regulatory capital requirements of the banks, could we see a problem here when investors uh, come to sell their bond holdings in light of you know, the interest rate rise whenever it is? No, I don't think so. I don't think there is a problem in the bond market. I don't think there's a problem in the stock market. I think there may be a correction beginning. You know, we've been looking for this correction for three years. It hasn't occurred. We did see quite a downturn, as you said, on Friday. But then again, as one of your commentators earlier said, the earnings season is off to a pretty good start. You know, everyone had bad expectations, but uh, most of the companies are doing better than expected. And some of this dollar strength, which worried markets, that seems to have dissipated. You know, the dollar is at a stronger level than it was a month ago, and uh, oil prices have stabilized. So I think things look pretty good here in the States. What do you think, Alex? Oh, yes, I agree, actually. I, I think uh, 
Actually, Europe is a US USA has been holding quite well uh, given the situation in other markets uh, right now. And if you look at the earnings, actually, they uh, they have been quite good. I think uh, probably we would be uh, seeing some weakness in the US market for short term. But I I think uh, if you look at the recent price action, actually people are more confident in in, in the US market than other market. That is giving me the feel like this. Yeah. And uh, do you agree, Alex, perhaps that we've seen an end to this continuous rise of the dollar and uh, uh, a bottom in oil prices? Uh, oil prices, probably. I think uh, with the uh, improvement in other emerging market situation, probably we would see some uh, strength in the oil prices. I think oil prices have bottomed out already. But for the dollar, I think uh, we probably would just consolidate within a... Um, uh, a range probably for one one o five to one point one for the euro, and probably uh, uh probably at one 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 eight for the um, dollar yen. I think uh, probably we would consolidate current level for a while, but I don't think that the dollar would reverse the trend. Actually, uh, dollar. I think the U.S. Rate, interest rate is still going up, and other interest rate, other area interest rate would still stay low. So that means a stronger dollar should, should still be there. Barry, uh, sort of one question before we wrap. You know, we have the situation where we are expecting a rate hike in the U.S. later in the year. And, you know, Europe, of course, has embarked on QE. Do you think that European QE uh, was a mistake in that it is encouraging European governments to not have to get to grips with structural issues in their economies and also not have to rein in spiraling spending? No, I, on the contrary, Renita, I think that... Uh that uh, Europe has done the right thing. I mean, it hasn't been growing enough. If it has the same impact as uh, it had in the States, that would be higher European equity prices. That would be good. I think this is spot on for the Europeans, and it's going to help them. All right, Barry. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, joining us from Washington, D.C. A quick look at the numbers this morning. The Nikkei is down seven-tenths of a percent to 19,514. Australia's ASX index is down one-tenth of a percent to 5,843. And Seoul's Kospi is down six-tenths of a percent to 2,131. In currencies, one euro is currently worth 1.08 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is trading at 118 yen. And one pound sterling will buy you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 59 cents and 1.5 US dollars. Any idea about what to do for the holidays? How about going on a trip? Mm, what about dengue fever? Well, always make sure you do the right things to prevent mosquito bites. So, that means I should wear light-colored and long-sleeve clothing and trousers and use a mosquito repellent. Right. And also make sure you get a room with air conditioning or a bed with a mosquito net. And don't go near any areas where there's thick scrub or undergrowth. Then you should have a bite-free holiday. The time is now 8.25 a.m. And Fitch Rating says in a new report that the policy focus in China's power sector is shifting from supply sufficiency to consumption efficiency and environmental friendliness. Our last guest this morning is Fitch Ratings APAC Corporate Associate Director, Jenny Huang. And she joins us now on the phone from Shanghai. Good morning, Jenny. Hi, good morning, Renita. So, Jenny, your, your report says that the power sector capex will remain high right through 2020, despite slowing capacity growth. Uh, what is the pace of capex towards clean energy, and is there evidence, would you say, of such a shift? Yes. 
Um, the main reason we think that car parts will remain high is because clean power sources are much more expensive than coal-fired power, and clean power is going to be the majority of net capacity additions in the next five years. Uh, so let me give you some numbers. Uh, for the same amount of capacity, cost of hydropower and wind power is twice that of coal-fired power. And for solar and nuclear power, the cost could be as high as four times. And these expensive co- uh, clean power sources will go into account for roughly 60% of China's net capacity additions in the next five years, up from uh, just 36 in 2010 to 2015. And while total net capacity additions for these two periods are roughly the same at around 500 gigawatts. And that's why we believe CapEx will remain high despite um, power capacity growth slows down from around uh, 9% per annum to 7% in the next five years. Now, Jenny, you say the growth uh, in China's power consumption is actually set to slow over the next mm-hmm. decade, yet the country will invest in ultra-high voltage power lines to carry electricity to power-hungry regions. Now, how do you reconcile this? Okay. Uh, That's part of China's uh, plan to move into uh, clean energy to adjust its uh, energy mix towards more clean energy sources. And you see that uh, most of China's renewable energy, such as um, uh, wind power is concentrating in the north area, and its hydropower resources are concentrating in the southwest area. And while the major uh, power consumption area are alongside the, uh, the river, uh, the uh, nearby the sea, uh, in the east area, so that they need these uh, ultra high voltage lines to transmit electricity from these uh, renewable energy centers to the consumption centers. And Jenny, how does the markets? Uh uh, sorry, the government's, I should say, market liberalization plans uh, impact a cleanup in the environment. Yeah, we think that uh, market liberalization is a very important step for China to improve efficiency in the power sector. And uh, uh, market liberalization will allow competition, and competition will allow efficient players to stand out. So unlike the current plant economy model that every generators are assigned an uh, average utilization hour, However, we think that the government is going to take a gradual or a step-by-step approach. Uh, This is mainly due to strategic importance of the power sector. And the Chinese government wants to ensure that the liberalization effort is coordinated with the country's overall development. All right, Jenny. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Jenny Huang, and she is the Asia-Pacific Corporate Associate Director for Fitch Ratings. All right, let's take another quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is now down three-tenths of a percent to 19. 15,588. Australia's ASX index is down eight tenths of a percent to 5,803. And Seoul's Kospi also down three tenths of a percent to 2,137. Gold currently stands at $1,202 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $64.13. Wow, Alex, it looks like it could be a very volatile day. <laughs> On one hand, you've got the Chinese authorities uh, uh, wanting to temper the euphoria in the stock market, but at the same time, they don't want to create this market panic and a big fall, a delicate balance. Do you think they'll succeed? Oh, I think uh, today will be very critical, actually. I think uh, they probably send a message to the market that the market should go higher eventually. So I think uh, today the market probably would, would close higher. So if it closes higher than I mean I, I think the short term trend probably would come back so um, today would be very critical uh, I think uh, we need to see how, um, 
the market how how they react to this news. I think、um, they probably would be cautious, but I think they. Also, probably will be quite crazy. I think、uh, there's some chance that we may see a strong close today, and if that happens, that means the short-term trend is already back. All right, Alex, I'm going to take your word for it.、Mm. <laughs> Thank you for joining us、uh, always on a Monday as co-host. That is Alex Wong, director of asset management at Ample Capital, and I'm Renita Malhotra Hora, closing up for this morning's edition of Money for Nothing. The weather forecast for today will be cloudy with a few showers. The showers will become more frequent with squally thunderstorms later on. The temperature right now is 26 degrees Celsius, and the relative humidity is 88 percent. Time for the half-hour news with Sam Butler. There are growing calls for European leaders to change the way the Mediterranean is patrolled after hundreds of migrants are feared to have drowned when their boat capsized off the coast of Libya. The Italian Prime Minister said an emergency EU summit by the end of this week had to be a priority. The chief spokesperson for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, Melissa Fleming, explained why the packed fishing boat carrying the migrants is thought to have capsized. The boat capsized when the passengers saw an oncoming merchant vessel. They got excited. They went to one side of the boat, and the boat capsized. People just suddenly drowned. The merchant ship was not in a position to save very many people. An alert went out. Right now, there are 17 boats trying to rescue people. They've only managed to rescue 28, unfortunately, and they're concerned that the next part of their operation is only.